Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's Word. Amen. We're continuing our journey Uh, through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and today's message is all about time, how we use time, and that may be welcome news to many of you. Uh, Many of you spend the vast majority of your time in a working environment, in an office environment, or taking care of children, or relating with your spouse, and so it would be helpful to know how to glorify God with the bulk of our time, through, through the mundane moments of life, the moments we regularly experience. And Paul is going to address these mundane, mundane, everyday life kind of stuff. He talks about marriage. He talks about parenting. He talks about how to relate and glorify God in the workplace in the next three sections of this letter, but not today. But still, it would probably be good to think about how then we can make the most of our time. After all, we have 24 hours in a day, seven, seven days in a week. There's only so much track to run on until we finally run out of time. And there seems to never be enough of it. So maybe a, a sermon on planning on how we can maximize our time to the glory of God and to, to benefit others and just to wisely use our time. Maybe a, a good sermon on planning would be helpful, but... That's not what Paul is thinking about either here when it comes to time. So no sermon on that this morning, sorry. What is Paul thinking about? What is he talking about when he exhorts us here, as we just read, to wisely make the best use of time? I think it would be helpful to know about the world in which Paul lives in and inhabits, he ministers in, in which he is writing. It's the Greco-Roman world that Paul lived in and ministered in. And it had two words in that language, in the Greek language, for time. Chronos and kairos. I want to tell you a little bit about these two words because it will help us think a little differently than those of us in the Western world typically think about time. Okay? Chronos is the idea that most of us grew up thinking, most of us in the Western world conceive of when it comes to time. It's the idea that time is linear. It's like a long train track. There are moment-by-moment sequences that everybody experiences in the same segment of moments. It's neutral for everyone, and that's how we think about time. 7 a.m. turns into 8 a.m., maybe it turns into 9 a.m., 9 to 10, 10 to 11, all of a sudden we're wondering where our day went, and that's how most of us experience time. And so we, we tend to judge our days, judge the quality of our life, judge ourselves based on what we do with each of these passing moments in time, right? So the Bible, which was written in Greek to a largely Greek-speaking and Greek-thinking people, frequently uses this idea of time, chronos. It's the logical stopwatch, in their cases, sundial use of time. But there's another use of time that was very common to 
the understanding of Greek thought, and that was kairos. Kairos are, are opportune moments. It's when something is done in just the right time. Kairos represents those, those golden opportunities in life that come our way. So in Greek mythology, there was a god named Kairos. And in the old statues of this god Kairos, it depicted a man who had winged feet, right? Because he represented time. But he had a bald head, all right? And he had a bald head on purpose, except for this giant lock of hair that came out from his forehead, all right? Which seemed very weird. And, and not a normal style of hair you would see today. So it was, it was very, or back then, right? It was, it was very uh, noticeable, and the reason he had this is that you could take hold of Kairos, take hold of this lock of hair as he approached, but after he sped by you, that opportunity was gone. So here he comes, lock of hair, grab a hold of it. But once he's gone, he's gone. Some of you know what that feeling is like. Some of you have taken advantage of Kairos before. You've taken hold of Kairos. Maybe it was the spouse you now have, right? You stayed persistent to seek after him or her, right? And because of that, because you held on tightly, you, you seized that moment, you have that person today. Maybe some of you took hold of Kairos in that window of opportunity for financial gains, some, some investment in the market, some, some sliver of opportunity presented itself, and, and you didn't miss out on it. You, you were right on time, and so you gained financially from that Kairos moment. In time, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's when you moved here to Cayman. There was this window of opportunity you saw, and everything lined up in your life such that you thought, this is perfect, i got to grasp hold of this moment. Or maybe it was even coming to this church for the first time. Maybe you weren't excited about it, but something lined up for you to be here. You haven't been to church before, or it's been a long time. But you're so thankful, and I hope you are, that you grabbed hold of that Kairos moment, and, and, you, and you took it to where it is today. If you live your life by kairos, then you judge the quality of your life, the quality of your days, not by every single moment, but the extent to which you seize those golden opportunities, those golden moments that come along in life. Kairos is what Paul is saying here. It's the word he uses to talk about making the best use of time. He means making the best use of these golden opportunities in life. He loves this word, Paul. He uses it, for instance, in Galatians 4.4 4, when he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Similarly, in Romans uh, 5, verse 6, he says, You see, at just the right time, kairos, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, Paul's painting a picture here that Christ couldn't come to the earth and die for us just at any time. God knew this perfect timing in history or where more people would be ready to, to maybe receive Christ and look to Christ. And that was that moment in time, right? 1 AD, 30 AD when Christ died. That was a golden moment. Now, nearly every one of us is conditioned to live life according to this chronos time, right? Segments, 9 a.m., 10 p.m., 11 a.m., 12 p.m., to take advantage of the, the next moment, not necessarily the best moment. Give me an example of this from my life. I remember as a kid, when I had a need that I couldn't provide on my own, I would go to my dad. I would go to my father. Like if I needed a ride to a friend's house, right? If I, if I needed an advance on my allowance that week to go do what I thought I needed to do, <laughs> I would ask my dad, these things. And because I was young, I would just ask my dad at the next moment, if I thought of something I really needed, I would just go. 
I'm going to ask my parents. I'm going to ask my dad. And what I realized is there's, that's not always the best time. The next time is not always the best time. Right? Sometimes I would ask my dad right when he was on a rush on his way out to work or when he was tired coming home from his place of work. Sometimes I, was, I would interrupt my parents right, when they were in a good conversation about, hey, guys, really need something here. And I realized, I came to realize that's not always the best time. Right? And, and the worst one at all, I remember my, asking my dad to go on this trip with my, with my class to uh, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, to, to, the, to the beach of North Carolina, and I asked him during an important basketball game. And I, and I realized later, not the best time. Not when there's one minute left in the game and the score is tied. Don't ask. Don't ask. The answer is probably going to be no. I, what I realized is I got to know my father better, as I spent more time with him, that there is an opportune time. There, is, there can be a best time. As I grew older, my, my dad... He, he purchased this outdoor kind of standing uh, jacuzzi hot tub, all right? And, and when my dad went out there, specifically with, a, with a, a glass of Bailey's Irish cream, he would go out to the hot tub, and we would kind of get in there. I knew that's, this is my moment. This is my moment. My dad's completely relaxed, sipping on his Irish cream. Let's we're there. Now is my time. I, I, can, I can seize this moment. Right. And what's interesting is those moments didn't come often, right? They were sometimes spaced out. I'd have to wait for them. But I noticed when they came. Friends, God is giving us all kinds of golden opportunities. All kinds of golden opportunities. All kinds of best moments. Kairos moments. Which helps us make more sense of what Paul says. Look at verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. When you hear Bible say, okay, understand what God's will is. What do you normally think of? My guess is you normally think of either what Jesus says directly, all the commands Jesus gives, all the things Paul says to do, or you think of that big question of what's God's will for my life, right? What's that big thing God wants me to do in my life? And I don't think it's either here. The context suggests that Paul's exhorting us to to walk so closely with God that we'd be able to discern what those golden opportunities are, what what God's will is at a particular time, and to pounce on that opportunity, to seize it. These are opportunities that go beyond the mundane of life, the regular things we do, the regular ways we relate. They're unusual. They're kairos moments. In fact, notice that Paul's vision for golden opportunities all consists of unusual moments. They're unusual words and deeds. They're special moments. Look at verses 19 through 21. These are the kinds of things Paul has in mind when it comes to seizing the moment that God has for us. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's not normal. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's not normal giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks to God for the good things, of course. Giving thanks to God for everything, not normal. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, giving yourself over to someone else, even if you disagree with them sometimes, and saying, you know what, I'm going to go along with you. Abnormal. On the surface, these sounds like things that Christians typically do, right? Or that you might hear about on a Sunday morning but they're truly unusual things in real life. They represent that being a follower of Jesus, as you walk with him, you're sensitive to moments where this might be a good time to step out and submit myself to this person and show humility here. Or it might be a good time to speak out and address someone with something they need to hear. Right? And so addressing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
Psalms are sung prayers in the Bible meant to help people speak their hearts and to speak truth about God back to Him. Has anyone here ever approached you with a scripture, even one word from a Bible, and it lifted you up? That's because they were seizing a Kairos moment. They recognized they were sensitive to God. They recognized God was saying, here's an opportunity in your life to encourage someone, to to speak truth into someone's life. And that's wonderful. Can you envision yourself doing that? Paul can. That's why he says it here. God can. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. A man named Tertullian, an important early church father, he lived in North Africa at the end of second century. He described real moments in his church where, quote, he said, each is invited to sing to God in the presence of others. Each person. That means you. It means you. It means you. Right? Coming forward, each person's invited to sing to God in the presence of others from what he knows of the Scripture and from his heart. This used to have, like, would that happen now? Who does that now, right? Someone who walks so closely with the Lord, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, who just wants to sing out something or say out something to encourage people. It's unusual. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. Thanksgiving is a message that we always say we want to do. We want to be more thankful in life. We want to count our blessings. What do we mean by that? We mean all of the good things, right? But it's harder when you experience what we label bad things. Consider that all of you guys who are enduring the grind of another busy season, right? The temptation is, is to, to kind of blend in, listen to others, even relate to others, and, and mumble about your firm and complain about the, the late-night dinners at your desk, the same food that's being shipped in, Right? And, and we're tempted in those moments to just, just put, you know, just put your next foot forward, just keep your head going, grumble, be dissatisfied. I understand. It's so normal. It seems almost therapeutic. But maybe there are moments, golden moments, golden opportunities where you could express thanksgiving in the midst of, of darkness, in the midst of difficulty, so you can shine light into a dark place. Parents with young children, it's flu season, Right? And many of us have been experiencing, as, as parents, young kids, like, like just sickness running rampant through our house, like a bubonic plague, right? And in those moments, and you know those moments, you're just trying to, like, put one foot ahead of the other, right? You're just trying to get to, to food and to sleep. And if I can just get there, maybe I might get some rest and not get sick. And that's all we can think about. We keep our heads down. And it's hard, right? I hear you. We've been there with young kids. Like, it's hard to be thankful during those times. Paul says not to just give thanks when things are good, but always and for everything. And that's what kind of stands out to people in life. He also says he envisioned this, a fourth golden opportunity. He envisions people, us, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And talk about unusual. In a society that holds up our personal and individual rights as the greatest treasure we could possibly have. Like, my rights, what is, what is individual, what is personal to me, should be guarded more sacredly than anything else in life. Paul says, no, submit yourself to other people out of reverence for Jesus. Like, when you choose to go along with your spouse on something, even you, though you don't fully agree with them, that's one of those moments. 
or you listen to someone, like really listen to them and, and, and almost sort of take in their wisdom, their advice, even though you, maybe you don't even like them or barely trust them. That's a kairos moment. It's a golden opportunity to not miss what God has for you. When husbands offer to take over certain responsibilities that, that aren't normally theirs, that's a golden moment, golden opportunity. When children surprise their parents by asking, hey, guys, how can I help? That's a golden opportunity. When bosses momentarily overlook the bottom line to take better care and equip their employees for a better future, that's a golden moment. That's submitting ourselves. When employees defer credit to bosses, showing them respect, not only in front of their face but behind their backs. These are moments when we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and it's unusual. It's not what people expect. But that's part of Paul's vision here for golden opportunities. Not taking advantage of them for personal gain, but rather to walk so closely with God that we don't miss opportunities to shine the light of Christ in dark places. That, that passage is continuing what we talked about last week. It's, this is continuing Paul's thought from what we read last week. Like For instance, in verse 14, where Paul includes what's likely a hymn, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's why Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. If, if, if Christ shines his light, and we're meant to be kind of like moons reflecting the light of Christ into other people's lives, how are we going to do that? By taking advantage of these moments in time where we can encourage, where we can address, where we can show deference and submit to others. Words of truth in the midst of confusion. A song when there's trouble. Think of all that means to people. Thanksgiving and the tide of cynicism. Submission in an individual world. The question I keep asking, though, with all of this, okay, what if I miss these opportunities? I couldn't help but think this week, how many opportunities, how many golden opportunities in my life have I actually just missed? Have I not even seen? How often have you looked back and thought, I know I missed it. Like, Kairos just, just passed me by. I didn't grab onto that lock of hair. I was sick most of this week, feeling I had some sort of bug, having traveled over the weekend, and I was just trying to kind of get through the days, accomplishing things, and having enough energy to do the next thing. And um, what, on one particular occasion, I ran into some friends from church. And a woman I know was sharing about her trip back to her home country, and there was some history there that I knew about. And there, there, was, there was family things that needed asking about. There, there was even, I realized later, an encouragement I could have given from God's Word to that person. And I didn't even think about it. I just, I had my head down, my feet moving forward, living on that chronos time, just what's the next thing I got to do, the next thing I got to do to just survive and get on with life. And I missed the moment. I missed it. Ah, I can't get it back. Paul hints at just how likely this is for us to just miss moments because of just time drifts by. He says to make the best use of these kairos moments because he says, quote, the days are evil. Look at verse 16. Don't miss these moments because the days are evil. That phrase has always troubled me. I mean, should I wake up every day and remind myself, what an evil day ahead. <laughs> evil day. Good to see you. Right? The days are evil. What's that? mean? It makes more sense in the context of kairos. 
The days naturally drift along towards evil unless we carefully look for these golden opportunities and seize them. These rare moments to give praise to God and glory to God and encourage others where there's darkness otherwise. Think about it. Nobody drifts towards sharing a scripture. Nobody sort of just drifts towards submitting to others because they think, oh, well. Right? Our hearts normally drift towards self-comfort, right? self-interest, self-satisfaction. It's no wonder Paul says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery. Because when free moments come along, when we drift in life, and we just let these moments pass us by, and we come upon some free time, what do people often do with their free time? If they're just drifting through time, I might as well drink. That was true in the first century AD, as true as it is today. Well, let's go buy some liquor. Now, Paul is not saying that having an occasional glass of wine, having a beer, whatever, or even two is, is wrong. What he's saying here is it's often debauchery. It's a tricky word, debauchery. The root of which means wastefulness. In other words, Paul's saying the more you drink, what a waste. You miss these moments. Your eyes aren't open to opportunities that God might be putting before you because you're blinding yourself, right? As you drink and you drink and you numb yourself, you miss what God may have before you. It's not so much that God's like, oh, drinking's wrong, it's just wrong. But you just miss what God has for you. Why would you want that? So what do we do then? What do we do? Well, Paul thankfully gives us a method for making sure we can see and seize these golden opportunities so they don't pass us by. He's given us a word for gold opportunities, Kairos. He's given us a vision for it. And now he gives us a method to make sure we notice these opportunities in life because it's so easy to miss them. It's the main exhortation of this passage. It says, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are sensitive to, we can more easily notice opportunities for, for encouragement, opportunities to share address one another for singing, for submission. When you trust your life to Jesus, when you trust that he is the God of the universe and your life, and he's the one person who can forever forgive your sin, God enters your life. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes into you and fills your life. You get to know God forever. And that is so wonderful. So if that's true, if that's true, why would, we, would, why would Paul say to Christians, you need to be filled again? But that's what he's saying, right? The fact that we're commanded to be filled means that, that Christians face the danger of being low, of getting low on the Spirit, but never empty, low. I think the most helpful analogy I've ever thought about this is, is a helium balloon. You guys remember getting helium balloons? Maybe it was for get well soon, or maybe it was for a birthday party and you had balloons. And when you were kids, at least when I was a kid, I would get these balloons and I would keep them. If you had a balloon around to keep them, my sister and I would play the lava game where you try to keep the balloon floating long enough, right, before it hits lava, which is the ground, basically. And so we'd play this silly game. But over time, you had to stop playing because the, the balloon just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk, right? Never got empty. Always hard to actually pop at that point, but it just... just it just ran out of helium. The molecules started to lag, decreasing activity. Caused a person to sag from the inside out. That's what happens to us as people. 
as we go through that chronos time, the mundane moments of life, and we're not connected with God, we just start to, start to leak. I go back to that moment this week when I'm under the weather. I didn't exactly begin my morning crying out to God for healing. I just went all with my day. I got to keep going. I got to keep my, my head forward, keep moving. And I missed that opportunity. I wasn't filled with, I wasn't sensitive to opportunities because I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what we need. I needed a refill. The verb paluste, this word which means be filled, is in the present tense. It suggests do it again. Holy Spirit, I need, do it again. Fill me again. So what does that look like in our lives? How can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? If this is the key to recognizing golden opportunities that come before us, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? There's no magical formula for this. We're completely dependent on God, and yet Scripture does suggest a couple things, a few things I want to mention here. Number one, ask. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit who ask Him? In other words, Jesus is saying the Father is waiting. He's anticipating you coming to Him to ask Him for the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've never asked God to come into your life. You've not yet Trust your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning, this might be your Kairos moment. This might be the golden opportunity to, to take hold of the moment before it passes you by. I want to encourage you with that. To those of you who have trusted Jesus, you have experienced God living in you, perhaps you need to ask him for a refill, to fill you again with his spirit so that you might glorify him in, in, in these unique opportunities that life presents you, that God presents you. I recall the first time I ever asked God to fill me with his spirit. I held out my hands like this because it just made sense at the time. It sometimes makes sense to do physically what you're asking for spiritually, right? I held out my hands like this. I said, God, I want to receive your spirit. I want to receive more of your spirit in my life. I was at a fellowship of Christian athletes event at my university and it was a weekend prior to our final exams. And everyone there was just, I mean, there weren't a lot of people there. We were, everyone was drained. They were tired. They were just looking for some refreshment, as was I. So I held out my hands, asked the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I just began to sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God. And as I sang, the most unusual thing happened, guys. I started to laugh. I just started to be filled with such joy in worshiping God. I laughed. And it wasn't long before I started audibly thanking God for all kinds of things in my life. Not just the good things, but always and for everything, right? And so I didn't realize how loud I was. I was talking, I was, I was filled with joy, and I'm a loud person by nature. So I was, I was saying these things out loud, and the person next to me said afterwards, they're like, dude, like, that was like the most incredible list of things I've ever heard in my life. Like, I, I was so encouraged to hear the things you were thankful for. And I was saying things like, not just thankful for family and for, for good health and thankful for Jesus. I was saying things like, thank, I was, thank you, Lord, for that person betraying me. Because even though it hurt me, 
I was able to more rely on you because of that. Thank you, Lord, for those times I had those near-death experiences. I'd just gone to a trip to Pakistan. I had some near-death experiences while I was there. Thanking God for them. And the person was surprised, and it encouraged them. Why? Because I had that experience of being filled with the Spirit. And it doesn't always have to be in a worship event. It doesn't have to feel so like, you don't have to like have this mystical experience per se. What it does mean is that the Spirit so fills you that you're sensitive to these moments of thanksgiving, of encouragement, singing, making melody in your heart, submitting to other people. So number one, just ask God. Number two, confess and repent from relational sin. Confess and relent. The one thing that we're told in Scripture that grieves the Holy Spirit more than anything, that grieves him, that makes him sad, is, is sinning against our brother and sister in Christ, hurting someone else. Paul says this earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. We read this a few weeks ago. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying that when we let corrupting talk, bitterness, wrath, he goes on to say, come out of our mouth towards others and grieves the Holy Spirit. So, so one thing we may need to do in our lives is, is say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've treated other people. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for ways I've been selfish. Sorry for ways that I've looked out for me first, that I've been thoughtless, right? Third thing is seize these golden opportunities. The more you seize them, the more the Holy Spirit, I think, will bless us with his presence. The more you seize opportunities to address, to sing, to submit to others. I want to be the kind of person who doesn't let these Kairos moments pass me by. Like like the winged feet, they will pass right by us. And we can grab a hold of them, but can we see them? Only as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and makes us sensitive to those things. So that's our message in a nutshell this morning. Seek a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit so you won't miss God's golden opportunity. Let's pray together. What we're going to do as I I pray here, guys, I'm asking Lisa and the team... They're going to play some music. Play a little music behind me as we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And I want to take us through a couple um, of, of sort of prayer exercises. So, so close your eyes and pray with me, and I'll lead us along. First, let's create some space and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us full. Let, let's remember the promise of Jesus from Luke eleven 13. I'll remind you of it again. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's take a moment to ask our good, good Father to fill us with His Spirit for for the Lord Jesus to reign in us again.